Good afternoon, everyone here from a sunny Milan ahead of Christmas, and welcome to The Culture, where we talk about the things in life that really matter. And we continue with our Ernest Hemingway series. This is the fourth of five looks at the master's work and why Ernest Hemingway matters. And we look at For Whom the Bell Tolls, one of his absolutely best works. Um, as always in wartime, Hemingway shines, and you can see this by the choices that we've made up to now. Uh, he got on political risk terms almost every single thing right. World War I was an unmitigated disaster, disillusioning a whole generation. As my guy Lawrence of Arabia said, World War I was an example of lions being led by donkeys. And you see this with the disillusionment that came out in Fiesta, Hemingway's first great work. Uh, and then Farewell to Arms, his second great work, The Chaos of the Retreat in Italy from the Battle of Caporetto and the Doomed Romance of Catherine Barclay and Frederick Henry. But you see here again, and, and then the, and the disillusion of the interwar period when his writing really isn't up to much, the exception being the short stories such as Snows of Kilimanjaro, where he goes into detail about this despair. But now he's writing high again. Because Hemingway had been a reporter. And again, if you look back at some of his to survive and make money at various points in his career, he was paid as he became more and more famous a King's Ransom to be a reporter. But the Hemingway-esque prose, the muscular, lean, ING-leading, gerontense prose that he uses to affect in novels really does come out of his reportage. And it's still worth reading and very good. And Hemingway is sent out to cover the Spanish Civil War. Of course, Hemingway adores Spain. Uh, Fiesta is set in Spain, and he is, he's lived on and off there part of his life, his obsession with bullfighting in Spain in general, and he's much moved by the Spanish Civil War of 1936 to 1939. But again, as a political risk analyst, this is where Hemingway excels himself. He sees the downside of World War I and the upside of World War II, that World War II was a good war, a war worth fighting. And Hemingway sees this earlier than most with For Whom the Bell Tolls. And he correctly sees the Spanish Civil War as an exemplar of why America had to get involved in the fighting. This was published in the autumn of 1940, For Whom the Bell Tolls, by his usual publisher, Charles Scribner's Sons. And Hemingway is still ahead of the curve in seeing that the Nazis are not just another group of bad men, but as FDR saw, a revolutionary power determined to upend the world that FDR and Hemingway loved. And that is reason to get involved. Um, he correctly guesses that the Nazis, who had, along with the Italian fascists, Mussolini and Hitler, had been giving support to the Francoists, the Falangists, in the Spanish Civil War, just as the Soviets had been giving succor to the Republican government, which was dominated by communists, and that this was really a precursor, a dress rehearsal in many ways for World War II, and that this was a war worth fighting. And Hemingway makes this clear in his epigraph, which begins uh, the work by John Donne, very famously the metaphysical 17th century poet, when Hemingway quotes John Donne saying, no man is an island entire of himself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. 
What Hemingway is saying right away to the Americans, and the book is overtly political, as is so much of his writing, is that what happens in Spain isn't that far away, that the Nazis want to dominate Europe. And again, this is this ties in beautifully to The Last Best Hope, the book that I have just coming out in the Roosevelt Rule. A good reason for when the United States ought to intervene, a rule of thumb, would be if any great power wants to dominate either part of Eurasia, the great world island of Eurasia, Europe or Asia, where most of the people, most of the resources, most of the ports, most of the wherewithal, all come from Eurasia. And anyone wanting to dominate either part of that can threaten the United States ultimately and defeat it as merely an island, the Western Hemisphere, off this main Eurasian dominant landmass. So this is a good rule of thumb of when to intervene and when not to. And Hemingway, strikingly, as he did with World War I, gets this right, that this he's involved in mankind and the Nazis dominating Spain, France, Western Europe, and then the whole of Europe will be a mortal threat ultimately to the United States. And because he's involved in mankind, we have to be involved in fighting fascists, that it is a universal cause. They are rare. We should do it only when they occur, and it's a very rare thing indeed. But when this happens, because we are involved in mankind, it's one of the few times that a realist would say military action is called for. And this is how Hemingway, realists such as myself and FDR, all end up on the same side. He knows instinctively, as he knew World War I was a tragic mistake in many ways. As Lawrence said, a bunch of lions led by donkeys. World War II, on the other hand, Hemingway, early on, it's 1940. The U.S. doesn't enter the war until December 1941. But like FDR, Hemingway is ahead of his time and instinctively seeing that this is a war worth fighting. And the whole book really revolves around that. It's about Robert Jordan, who's a young American volunteer who's attached to the Republican guerrilla unit in Spain in the Spanish Civil War. Before the war, uh, Jordan has been a university professor of Spanish at the University of Montana. He's a Westerner, but he's lived in Spain before the war and speaks perfect Spanish. And he's come, to, of course, to identify with the Republican cause and sides with the communists over the anarchists because he thinks they're more disciplined and are more likely to beat the fascists. It's clear that Jordan sees the corruption and the ineptitude of various communist leaders, but he'd rather work with the devil he knows fighting the devil that he doesn't, which is the fascist cause. And of course, FDR makes this same argument that you can fight your enemies consecutively and not concurrently. First, we defeat the Nazis in their effort to dominate the whole of Western Europe and then Europe, and then we'll worry about the Soviets later. And Jordan in his daily life has made exactly FDR's political risk call. It's eerie how Jordan really represents where the Roosevelt government is going. Um, Jordan is a dynamiter, he knows how to use dynamite, and he's assigned by a Soviet general to blow up a vital bridge during an attack on Segovia during the Spanish Civil War, again, of 36 to 39. And Hemingway is, is fair in pointing out the many flaws, the corruption, the ineptitude of his cause, and of course, in the end, the phalanges of Franco defeat Jordan's side, that this is a lost cause. But one of the great things about Hemingway is his notion that sometimes the fall is what matters, that how you lose is what makes a man and not whether you win. And I remember reading an awful lot of Hemingway when the Iraq war was forcing me out of my position in Washington, that sometimes the fall is all you have, that as Hemingway said, all the, all the courage is, is dealing, is dealing with, with problems and uncertainty and, and, and misfortune with grace. Can you deal with negatives with grace? And if you can do that, 
you're brave. And I kept thinking back to Hemingway during that very trying time in my own life. Um, but he's on his way to try to destroy the bridge. And he wrote this in a nomadic fashion. He was living all over the place. Again, unsettled from his interwar period in Cuba, Key West, Florida, where he had a house in Sun Valley, Idaho, where he had another house and had gone skiing. Um, the story is based on his own Spanish Civil War experiences as a reporter. With Hemingway, there's always a woman related to the writing, and this is his third wife who has appeared on the scene, who was famous in her own right, Martha Gellhorn, who was a war correspondent who Hemingway fell for uh, during his time recording as a reporter of the Spanish Civil War. So this comes, again, out of personal experience. And Hemingway, more than most, really drew out of this personal experience to make things work. This is the way he went about doing things. Uh, but Gellhorn is behind this. Um, and it's set in the Sierra Guadarrama mountain range. The Sierra Guadaramas are a mountain range between Madrid and Segovia. And there's going to be a big communist push to attack the fascists. And Jordan is sent to blow up a bridge behind enemy lines in order that they cannot reinforce the fascists. The phalangists can't reinforce their own when the communists strike. So this is a very important mission. Um, the story really has tremendous verve because it's compressed. It's only four days and three nights. The whole thing takes place in under a week. And so it has the air about it of a real thriller. And in a time of uncertainty, the thriller aspects of this can be underestimated. This compressed notion of time means that every action and every thought acquires a great importance. And you find yourself following the novel incredibly closely because it's seen through the eyes of Jordan and we have to go along with him and we know every single thing that we do is going to matter because it could well be our last. Um, so he's lived in Spain and he follows a general order and he travels behind enemy lines with dynamite and he's sent, and he's sent to reach contact with a bunch of guerrillas who are loyalists who are on the side of the Republicans. And he's supposed to make contact with these guerrillas who are gonna help him blow up the bridge. And when he meets the guerrilla group, he meets Maria. Um, who has uh, a girl who's been, um, and there were a series of vast war crimes um, in the Spanish Civil War. And her parents have been murdered, and she's been gang raped, and has then flown away, fled to join the guerrillas in the aftermath of this brutality. And she meets Jordan, and they fall in love with each other. The language, of course, is, is famous, that the notion for sex, Hemingway says, when they first have an encounter, he and Maria... He said, you know, did the earth move for you? And this phrase has been used to, to death. Did the earth move? But everything comes out of blood and soil or, or the imagery of the novel. And she says, yeah, the earth moved for me. And from this, we know that they have this vast chemistry and that they've fallen in love at first sight, as star-crossed lovers often do. Um, but it, it really adds a lot to the novel. I mean, it, it's, it's amazingly, somehow he makes this work that it's not a fairy tale and you believe they truly do fall in love with each other. And this is important because, again, it's these personal stakes that matter. What Hemingway is so good at is linking the personal stakes of the micro, of human happiness, of love and human happiness, to the macro, to the broader historical concerns that we're all swept up by. And that's what he's so very good at. And this is perhaps the best example of him doing this. And so you have to believe they fall in love for it to matter. There have to be personal stakes for us to care about the political risk outcome. And Hemingway succeeds at this with his love affair between Robert Jordan and Maria. And in the 43 film, which I commend that you see, 
Um, often Hemingway's very filmic and all these things have been done to death, but really the best version of Hemingway movies is For Whom the Bell Tolls, the 1943 film uh, with Gary Cooper as Robert Jordan, perfect for the laconic Hemingway language, Gary Cooper, and the luminous Ingrid Bergman as Maria. And it's just a wonderful, I just watched it not long ago, preparing for this, and please do see it. It, it really is loyal to the to, to the work and uh, was nominated for nine Academy Awards with good reason, with the woman who played Pilar actually won. And so he joins this guerrilla band, and the two leaders of the band are Pablo and Pilar, and this is where it's really great that one of the reasons that, that the Spanish Republican side loses is their disunity. And this is seen in the relationship of Pablo and Pilar. And they are they are common law married and they're older, kind of in late middle age. Pablo is only concerned about, you know, they're constantly foraging and going on raids and all the things that they've, you know, captured, he wants to keep. He's worried about keeping his moneymaker going, keeping the band together and all the stuff they have. And so he's less and less inclined to fight. Whereas Pilar, his wife, is much more strong-willed, much more determined uh, ideologically to help the Republican cause as a true loyalist. And so at first when Jordan shows up, he's like, I need your help. Can you do a diversion so I can dynamite the bridge? And Pablo basically, you know, waffles around and then says, no, no, I can't because I don't want to endanger all the things that I have. Pilar calls him a coward and basically leads an internal coup. And with Maria and some of the other guys help and Selma, who's the older man that has gone up to find Jordan and has befriended him. And, and, and Selma was a remarkably sympathetic character. He's a symbol of old Spain, the organic peasantry of Spain. Uh, and, and really helps to paint Franco as a foreign being, fascism as a foreign force, trying to take over from the good peasant that is Anselmo. But Anselmo and Pilar lead a coup, and Pablo's voted out, and so they're going to go along with Jordan. Well, Pablo doesn't take this with a very good grace. Um, he goes away and actually takes the dynamite detonators away, throws them away and destroys them, so now they have to somehow blow up the bridge without detonators, but in his remorseful way, comes back to help the group, admits what he's done and comes back. And although Jordan, I think rightly, and here I speak as an Anglo-Saxon like Jordan, wants to shoot him in the head, uh, Pilar says, no, 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 he's been chasing now. But you see in Pablo and Pilar the reasons the Spanish lost the war, the chaos, the infighting, the corruption, um, all is really symbolized by Pablo and Pilar. They're brave but misguided, and they constantly get in their own way. And that's one of the reasons Hemingway's laying out that the Republican cause indeed lost the war to Franco and his phalanges in 1939. And so this is an interesting side. But Pilar takes charge, and Jordan says, okay, we can, we can do this a different way. We'll use grenades to detonate uh, the dynamite, but this means that he and Anselmo will have to get very, very close, tying the grenade together, uh, to the dynamite and then get away as fast as they can while the others will lead a diversion. But what's fascinating about the work is it's made clear in the big picture, in the political risk picture that our community spends our time on, this is futile because it's made clear that spies and the Republican cause was honeycombed with fascist spies. The German spy network, the Abwehr, was incredibly efficient. And, and the Republican loyalists are honeycombed, the traitors, and it gets out to them that the Republican offensive is coming anyway. And so already in advance of the, of the offensive by the Republicans, the fascists have moved a large number of troops through the bridge 
and are ready to reinforce the phalanges if they need to be. So the purpose of maintaining surprise and the purpose of what Jordan is trying to do is already largely blown. But here's where the novel, in the midst of despair, brings you to the World War II sense of heroism and what makes this novel. I remember reading it as a kid and weeping, and I, I'm not a weeper, <laughs> but I wept at this as a child because it doesn't matter. Again, back to it's how it's the fall that matters. How you fall is what matters. You may win, you may lose, as happened to me over Iraq, but you must do so and be a man. You must show courage. You must show, as Hemingway said, what is courage? Simply grace under pressure, and that you must fight and die for the things that you love. And so Jordan does this. He sees the futility. He sees that many of the troops have already moved, but he's been told to blow up the bridge, and that's what he's going to do. And so they use the hand grenades. The guerrilla group under Pilar with Maria. Maria at this point has told him that she thinks she might be pregnant. Um, how they know this after four days is beyond me, but they do. And, and Jordan says to Pilar, keep an eye on her. Don't let her get too close to me. And this, of course, means he's going into great danger. He and Anselmo do indeed detonate uh, the hand grenades, but because Pablo has been an absolute moron uh, and they've had to do this very dangerous thing, as Anselmo backs away, he's killed by a piece of shrapnel. And again, Pablo's fault and the reason they lost. He's had to do this remarkably brave and dangerous thing, and he's killed by a piece of shrapnel. Jordan does better and gets away onto a horse, but the horse is shot out from under him, and as he falls, the horse rolls over his leg and crushes it. And Jordan is aware that he, he can't get away, that in fact, if he tries to get away, all that he's going to do is slow the guerrilla band down. And so he looks at Pilar and makes up a noble lie. He says to Maria, I'll be fine. I'm just going to shoot things and, and, and be at the rear guard here. You guys get away and I'll meet you later. Everybody knows who's ever read this. And it's beautiful writing by Hemingway. Everybody knows this is a lie and that he's not going to get away. Instead, what he's planning to do is to slow the phalangist advance down. And he knows that looking at the damage, there will be a senior phalangist officer who will come up to look at his body and Anselmo's. And as the officer will move toward him, Jordan is going to shoot him. And in this commotion, where we assume Jordan will be killed in return, this will give the guerrilla band and Maria and his unborn child a chance to get away. So Jordan is sacrificing himself for the Spanish cause. The reason? Back to the John Donne poem. No man is an island. I am interested in mankind, as we all should be. And so the novel ends with him in pain, waiting for the phalangist officer to walk toward him as he's going to slow him down, sacrificing himself for a bridge that no longer matters and for a cause that will be defeated. So why does this matter if all this is negative? Because in the end, this is interconnected and fascism will be taken on, Hemingway believes, by telling such a stirring story. Fascism will be taken on by the United States, who using the Roosevelt rule will ultimately come to defeat this dark night of barbarism. And it would have, as Churchill rightly said, took the world back into the Dark Ages. So even though the bridge is a tactical defeat, the Spanish Civil War is a tactical defeat, by Jordan's attitude, his selflessness, his willing to sacrifice his micro-life, his personal happiness in return, which is made abundantly clear that he will have with Maria, for his macro-duty to care about the world, I am interested in mankind. Because he's willing to do that, if enough millions of people are willing to do that, 
the world will be a better place. And that is the incredibly idealistic yet realistic background for whom the bell tolls, which works so well as the ultimate capstone of Hemingway linking the macro to the micro. In Farewell to Arms, he did this well, but in For Whom the Bell Tolls in 1940, he does it in a breathtaking fashion. There's one other thing to say that yet again, Hemingway plays around with language in doing this. And a lot of people hate this because the language that he uses sounds like a direct translation from the Spanish, as though we're reading a Spanish account, but the translation is direct. And so it's clunky and doesn't work exactly. I live in this world. You know, I, I speak pretty poor Italian, but good enough I can order and get around. I understand about 85 or 90 percent of it. But of course, when I hear a direct translation and Sarah speaks flawlessly, but sometimes you're aware of what someone is saying, even if in English we wouldn't use exactly those words. That happens to me once an hour of my adult life for the 20 years I've been here. And your ear gets used to it, much as people get used to the Middle English of Shakespeare. It takes 20 or 30 minutes for your ear to get round Shakespeare, even if someone like Olivier speaking it so cleanly and crisply. The same is true when you hear a foreigner speak English and there's a direct translation. It's not exactly how you'd say it, but you know exactly what they're trying to say. Well, a lot of people at the time found this an affectation, found this burdensome, but I don't. I think it works. I think it grounds this in another culture, which is the point that Hemingway is making, is that we have to care what happens in other cultures where things sound kind of right and kind of not. And you have to weave your way through this thicket of understanding to get to the greater understanding that no man is an island. And so I think in the bigger picture, this works, though a lot of people have trouble with the language. As you read this, let me know which you think it is. I, I think you can look at this either way. I'm not doctrinaire about this, but for me, it's like Middle English and Shakespeare. After 20 minutes, my ear's in and it works. But he did this in a, in, in a deliberate manner to show that Jordan is living in a very foreign place, but at the same time, the concerns that he's fighting for are universal. And that's why this is such a great, great novel and works so very well. Thank you very much. It was great fun to do another of our Hemingways, one of my favorite novels of all time. And it's the next in our uh, community's book club, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Please do let me know what you make of it. And we will move on next week to the last in our series of Hemingway, when he finally gets that Nobel Prize for Literature he's been pining for since the 1920s. His final act, The Old Man in the Sea, which works magnificently his late great novella about aging, about heroism, and about the things that matter. And what works for Hemingway and why he matters is that sometimes the fall is all there is and that no man is indeed an island and I care about what happens to mankind. These are big, important ideas that have to fuse with your common life. We all live this experience. And it's that universality of the micro and the macro that make Hemingway immortal, often in spite of himself. Take care. Please do subscribe and see you next week.